fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, a tremendous Thursday to you. It's so good to be back in the chair, back behind the mic on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And this is a, a pretty momentous day for me. It's a, it's a wonderful anniversary for me, actually. Today is my three-year anniversary. On this day in 2020, we had the first episodes of The Kale Clark Show, The Faith Explained Program, and my, how time has flown. Thanks to Father Rocky for his wonderfully encouraging note that he sent me uh, earlier this morning. And also my thanks to Brooke Taylor for sending in for me last evening. I'll have more about Brooke in just a minute, but thank you, Brooke. You are the best. And you guys are the best, too. My listeners, call in right now, 888-914-9149 is the number toll-free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show. And you can also email the program, by the way. Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. But once again, that phone number, 888-914-9149, is the toll-free line to call. Now, we're going to have an incredible show today. I can't wait to get going with this. This is going to be so much fun, so much fun. Thirsty Thursday. Now, you might remember back in... University days, college days, Thirsty Thursdays were days where students would very often uh, go to the pub. And, of course, very often they would commit the sin of drunkenness. Not a good thing. It's a mortal sin. But those five-cent beers and ten-cent drafts are really, really hard to say no to if you're on a student budget. And very often people would have late classes on Friday morning. So you might have heard of that Thirsty Thursday phenomenon. But I'll tell you what, uh, from a biblical perspective, we need to talk about this as well, because God promised Moses a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'll tell you what, uh, it's not just about drinking milk and enjoying the sweetness of honey. It's about much, much more than that. We will talk a little bit about beer, too, specifically the non-alcoholic type. Why would I want to do that? It's What is the point of that? Well, there is, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, later in the show as well, plus more faith, facts, and fun. We'll give our open picks, and we'll have a lot of fun with that as well. But once again, call in 888-914-9149. All right. Well, I, I came upon this incredible piece um, by somebody who I, I have to meet this person at some point, Dr. Rebecca Welton, who is the professor of Hebrew Bible at the University of Exeter, in the UK, and the UK is really on my mind, of course, with the British Open happening uh, this week at Royal Liverpool. But uh, she, I, I, this is really interesting. She published a book. Now, this is this is from an academic um, publishing house called Brill. Their books are super, super expensive. And uh, she published a book back in 2020 called "He Is a Glutton and a Drunkard." <laughs> and of course, that's a reference to the fact that Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he would hang out with sinners. And he uh, he wasn't uh, a teetotaler like John the Baptist, where he was super kosher, you know, locusts, wild honey, that's it. Um, but Jesus would would feast and he would meet with sinners and, and people would accuse him of all kinds of different things. That was not true. Of course, he wasn't a glutton or a drunkard. Uh, but uh, Jesus said, basically, you can't win because people, if you do this, people call you a glutton and a drunkard. John the Baptist comes neither eating nor drinking, and people said he had a demon. So you can't please all the people all the time, that's for sure. There'll always be somebody, if their hearts are not right, trying to get you. So 
that's a book I've got to get a hold of at some point. I just found out about this one today. But she wrote an interesting article about milk and honey. And this is really intriguing because it kind of made me think of this because in today's first reading, of course, uh, from uh, the book of Exodus, if you went to Mass, you heard this in the readings, we have Exodus chapter 3. And that's the famous encounter between God and Moses at the burning bush. And Yahweh reveals himself as, and this is the mysterious meaning, if you will, of Yahweh. I am that I am, or it's, it's, it's really hard to pin down. It's really hard to pin down. And so I am, I am who I am, however you want to translate it. Uh, and I, I've talked about this a lot, especially in the Exodus series on the Faith Explained program. You can check that in the relevant radio archives. I go kind of into that. And of course, Jesus takes that divine name unto himself uh, very often in John's gospel. And so but I really want to focus on Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, which was part of the reading today, in which God says that he is very concerned about his people, uh, the Israelites, in slavery in Egypt. And he says, I have decided to lead you up out of the misery of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites. They weren't parasites, but I mean, maybe they seem like it, but the Perizzites with two Zs the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and these are groups that they're going to have to kind of fight against sometimes to go through to get this land. And they don't want to give it up because it is an amazing land. It's flowing with milk and honey. But what does that really mean? And why is it important? You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. So on this Thirsty Thursday, if you will, we're going to talk about milk and honey. We're also going to talk about beer later. It has nothing to do with Beersheba in the Bible, but, but it is interesting. Uh, but let's, let's get to the biblical topic of milk and honey. Now, we obviously still eat this stuff today. At least I do. I, I love honey on my toast. Some people like honey in their tea, that kind of thing. But for the Israelites, it, it was a lot different than what we think. And Rebecca Welton ex- explains this. Bee honey was was something that was a real, a real delicacy. This was kind of a rare thing. You didn't get this all the time. It wasn't that that readily available, but it was it was definitely a good thing. Milk was a staple, just as it is today. And with massive inflation, inflation has kind of eased off a little bit over the last few months in the United States. But last year, when inflation was running nine ten percent at times, the price of everything has gone up, and and people were just aghast at the, at the price of a loaf of bread or, or milk. And, and the, these are things that are super, super staples, even to this day. And it was certainly the case in ancient Israel as well. Milk was on the table, and, and so many other things could be made from milk. It was an everyday food. And it actually was really tough to produce. It took a lot of labor, a lot of work, and it has a lot to do with the Bible. Now, now by the way, j- just to let you know, in ancient Israel, they weren't drinking cow's milk like, like we do today. And maybe some of you guys are into almond milk and stuff like that. But cow's milk is kind of the norm. Not, not the case for the Israelites. They were into the milk of goats, goat's milk. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried goat's milk. I don't know if you're a big proponent of goat's milk. I've never tried it. Uh, but they also would, would uh, consume sheep milk as well. And we know this in, in part, partially because of the, of the vast numbers of sheep and goat bones that have been found in archaeological excavations. And it's amazing. Right now, and you've, 
I've shared with you guys about doing archaeological work in Israel, which was a great learning experience. And if you can find, if you're if you're in an excavation site, say say you're trying to unearth a, an ancient town or city, if you can find the town garbage dump, that is a gold mine. That is an absolute gold mine because you can figure out what people were eating. And ancient Israelite settlements, hey, there were no pig bones there. They didn't find pig bones in the garbage because they weren't eating them. They were keeping super kosher. But you would find things like letters, papers, things that people wrote, things that people were reading. Uh, in Oxyrhynchus, in, 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 in Egypt, uh, so long ago, a couple hundred years ago, of course, they found this mother load of documents uh, shedding light. Uh, on antiquity, and, and so that, that's a great thing if you can find the, the garbage dump. And so they have found sheep bones, goat bones in these uh, Israelite excavations, and they, they needed these animals. They used them not only for milk, but for the wool of the sheep, for clothing. And this is a new one on me, but according to uh, Dr. Rebecca Welton, they would also use sheep dung and goat dung for fires uh and and for ovens um hey gather around kids gather around the dung fire we're gonna have some story time no thanks no thanks i think i'll just uh uh hang out in the other room <laughs> but uh that's hey they that's what they did that's what they did and what about what about milk the goat's milk they would not only drink it for the milk but they would they would make cheese they would make butter and um they found butter churns in the ancient Chalcolithic period. Now, you all know about the Chalcolithic period, right? That's when they invented chalcolit. Oh, boy. that's. I'm sorry about that, Dad. Brooke, Brooke Taylor was, was telling me that I have the best dad jokes ever. I, you guys might disagree with that. And uh, she said, she showed me a book. She sent me a text of a, of, a, of a John Wayne book of dad jokes. This is like the mother of all dad jokes books. And she said, you should put this on your Christmas list. But anyways, the Chalcolithic period, that was 3500 B.C. And then, of course, in Mesopotamia, there are all these icons ranging from 2900 B.C. to 2350 B.C. These are icons of milking. I guess you could say the milking maids of Mesopotamia, a little alliteration for you. And women would, would carry this out. And they would try to preserve milk in, in various ways. They would make these different dairy products. And, and they needed them for their, for their daily calories, fat, protein, uh, carbs. Nutrients were there, too. Vitamin D, vitamin B, calcium. And it's really interesting. In the Bible, it says a lot about this. Let, let's, let me just show you a couple of examples in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. This is a really good one. In Proverbs chapter 27, uh, check this out. This is really cool. In Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 to 27, it says, Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, nor a crown for all generations. You've got to be diligent. You've got to work, and you've got to plan for the future as well. It says, When the grass is gone and new growth appears, and the herbage of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and nourishment for your servant girls. So this idea that, yeah, they can depend on sheep and goats for clothing, for food, for milk, including dairy products. Now, it's interesting because even Abraham, when he, when he got that visitation, I, I mentioned this in the Genesis series on the Faith Explained program, the three angelic visitors that, that visit him. And some people think it's a, 
these are the three members, uh, uh, the three persons of the Trinity who are kind of, in a sense, taking human form. I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I, I would think that they're angelic visitors, but having said that, people argue about it. But at any rate, he gets these three mystical, mysterious, heavenly visitors in Genesis chapter 18. And what does he do? Well, he feeds them, and he feeds them something very, very specific. Let's check it out in Genesis chapter 18, just flipping it open there. And this is, of course, when Abraham has promised that he's going to have a son. He's like, yeah, right, I don't buy this at all. I'm too old, my wife's too old. But this is what it says in um, Genesis chapter 18, when a son is promised to him, in verses 23 to 27, you can read the whole thing. It says, uh, hang on here. Ah, here we go. This is verse 18, excuse me. Oh, Oh, I can't. I, I, anyways, the, the bottom line is they, they, they eat bread and he gives them. Oh, here we go. Verse 8. I made a mistake. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So, hey, curds, cheese curds. All right. They're, they were pretty popular a while ago. I guess they still are. Milk. I mean, this is this is kind of a nice meal that you would you would give somebody. It's kind of definitely the basics. Very solid. And then there are all kinds of other verses in the Old Testament about this. I just want to highlight a, a couple. This is really interesting. In the book of Judges, Judges chapter 4, we meet this character named Jael. And she's, in, in a sense, she's almost a prototype of Our Lady, a prototype of Mary. I want to check this out for you. This is in Judges chapter 4. I'm just going to look this up. Here we go. How fast can I flip through my Bible? We don't, this is a, yeah, we don't want dead air on the radio, that's for sure. Here we go. All right, so in Judges chapter 4, uh, verse 19, here's what it says. And so there's this kind of really scary uh, Canaanite general named Sisera. He's a military commander, military leader. And it says uh, here in uh, Judges chapter 4, it says, J.L. came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Have no fear. Hey, you've got nothing to fear from me. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. Um, probably not like the rugs, like a welcome mat. It was probably a nice fur coat of some sort. And then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk. Hey, forget water. I am, I am going to go. I'm going to give you the royal treatment here. You're going to get some milk. So a skin of milk, and uh, it's like a canteen made of animal skin and gave him a drink and covered him. He said to her, stand at the entrance of the tent, and if anybody comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. He's kind of on the run. He's hiding. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Now, this is kind of macabre. It's kind of violent. It's not just kind of violent. It's a lot violent. Took a ha- she took a hammer in her hand, went softly to him, kind of snuck up on him, and drove the tent peg into his temple. Until it went until it went down into the ground. He was he was lying down. He was asleep. I guess the milk kind of made him sleepy. <laughs> Some people like to drink a glass of milk before they have a nap. I don't know. I guess that's what he did. And she just uh, hammers a tent peg into his head, kills him, and he dies. And then Barak, this guy Barak, comes in pursuit of him, and JL says, "Oh, don't worry about him. I'll show him to you. The guy you're looking for." And she showed him the dead body of Sisera, the tent peg in his temple. And uh, it's pretty gruesome. And, and, and very often, theologians and scripture scholars have seen Jael as, a, as an image of Our Lady. 
uh, who helps defeat Satan, and, and he's, he's kind of a Satan figure, uh, the enemy of God's people, Sisera, uh, the evil general. So, so we see that. Again, milk comes into play. It's, it's hospitality. Now, of course, she was tricking him. But nonetheless, you see that sort of thing going on. And then later on, the song of Deborah. We see it once again in the very next chapter, in chapter 5 of the book of Judges, is a beautiful song of Deborah. And she mentions this. She says, Most blessed of women be Jael. And that's one of the reasons why she's related. People uh, see her as a type or a prefigurement of Our Lady. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a lordly bowl. She put her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera a blow. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. He sank. He fell. He lay still at her feet. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. So so she is praised as a hero among the Israelites. I'm just going to give you one more. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 17 verse 29 second samuel uh verses seven uh, chapter 17 verse 29 just gonna here we go second samuel i'm flipping through my old testament here chapter 17 verse 29 this obviously has to do uh with king david and here we go here so david comes to this place called mahanahim mahanahim and absalom david's son he's kind of uh seeking his life he's trying to kill his dad and 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 29 says, When David came to Mahanahim, uh, these guys uh, come and meet him, and they bring beds, they bring basins, they bring earthen vessels, wheat, barley, meal, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds. We'll talk about honey in just a second. Sheep and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, The troops are hungry and weary. And thirsty in the wilderness. So once again, we have curds, we've got cheese, and in another place it talks about ten kinds of cheeses that David got. He got the uh, you know American cheese, maybe you know a little marble Havarti. Uh, anyways, he had his he had his uh, his uh, selection there. So so you can see why milk is mentioned again and again and again, and it, it's it means much more than just the food to eat as well, the milk to drink. There's something spiritual about this as well. But before we get into that, we also have to talk about honey, about the land of milk and honey and what it's all about. So we're going to be right back on the Kale Clark Show, but you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. And we'll be right back with your phone calls and much more. Stay tuned. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program on this Thursday, the 20th of July. It's the three-year anniversary of our programs here on Relevant Radio that have to do with me, Kale Clark Show and the Faith Explained program. What a privilege it is to be part of the Relevant Radio family. And you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. Email the program, K-L-C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. Great place to send your show ideas, questions, comments, 
and follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So we're talking about the land of milk and honey, which God promised Moses he was going to give to his people in the book of Exodus. And of course, they did make it there to the promised land. Let's go to the phones right now. Frank is in Philadelphia. Hey, Frank. Hi, Kale. Hey. Hello. Hi, you're on the air. Yep. Excuse me, got a bad allergies yesterday and today. Sorry for my voice. Um, the saying milk and honey, I've been hearing that a lot this week, but Tuesday night in the Wednesday morning was late, late night. Dr. Joe Wallach, he was saying um, way back when, like thousands, more before Jesus, because when people lived 600, 800 years old, he said the saying came from when water traveled through the rocks, it picks up all the minerals and gave them kind of a creamy color. And that's what gave them all the, all the nutrients they needed. That's one of the reasons why they lived so long. Is there any truth to that? You know, I I would have to look into this. I, sorry, I didn't pick up some of what you said. There's a little bit of static on the line. But what was it that had the, all the minerals in it? I, I didn't catch that part. Oh, well, he, he said when water traveled through the, um, the river or whatever, and it passed through the rocks, the rocks oh, contained all the minerals. Okay. It picked up a creamy color. Uh, interesting. Well, I don't know. No, no I... I, I don't know about that. It's kind of interesting, and, and certainly mineral water, I guess you could say, like a super mineral water might be in play here, but but there was actual milk and, and honey. We talked a little bit about the goat's milk, Frank, just before the break. We're going to talk about honey uh, in a biblical sense, but I do think there's a, there's another meaning to this as well. There's a spiritual meaning to all of this too, but, but it's based on uh, the physical. And so let's talk about honey for a second. And um, it, it's interesting that we mentioned uh, Deborah earlier, the... the the prophetess Deborah that's mentioned in the book of Judges. There's this famous song of Deborah. And the name Deborah actually means bee, like a honeybee. So that's it's kind of poetic as we, as we talk about this. And as we talk about honey, um, hey, it's, I was going to start singing, but I'm not going to. There's a couple of songs to having to do with honey. I'm not going to do it. Uh, but uh, I'm tempted to. I am sorely tempted to. They've actually... Uh, excavated a lot of beehives from ancient Israel, if you can, if you can imagine this. And uh, this is part of what Dr. Rebecca Welton talked about in her article about uh, milk and honey. And she says that, especially in uh, a place called Tel Rehov, uh, in the Bet Sheon Valley of Israel. Bet Sheon, by the way, if you ever get to go to Israel, Bet Sheon, it's a national park. It's an incredible site. And in most tour groups, they, they will not take you there. It's kind of off the beaten path a little bit. It's not one of the major holy sites, but it's so cool. It's so interesting. And I'll have to talk on another program about what they found at Beth Sheon. But that's where King Saul was actually killed, and his body was, uh, was strung up and basically nailed to the side of a hill. It was just ghastly. Uh, but it's an incredible site for a lot of different reasons. And one of the reasons I was there is because there were a lot of ancient tombs in the, in the region, and uh, we were looking at some Jewish burial practices around the the time of ancient Israel leading up to the time of Jesus kind of helps us understand uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How, having said that, in the Betcheon Valley, they, they found some um, excavations, Iron Age beehives, if you will. And they knew how to do it. They're, they're, it was kind of a technique. The Egyptians did it as well. Other cultures did it. And in the Bible, they, you can actually find honey in a lot of weird places. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 13 you could find honey in beehives in the rocks, okay? Deuteronomy 32, 13. In Psalm 81, 16, it talks about that as well. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, 
verses 25 to 29, talks about people finding beehives in logs. And even in Judges chapter 14, verses 8 to 18, you can look it up on your own, a beehive found in the carcass of a lion. Okay, that, that, oh, that's an interesting, I don't know if I'd want to go there, but um, nonetheless. But we also see here in the Old Testament, and this is um, something Dr. Welton uh, brings up, and we know this as well from reading the Bible, that honey is also describing the very words of God, divine teachings. Let's look at Psalm 19. That's a, that's a really famous example. In Psalm 19, uh, we see this, and I'm just uh, going to look it up for you. In Psalm 19, which is a, it's just, a, just a beautiful psalm, in psalm, and it's a really long psalm as well, in verses 9 and 10, uh, we see this. It says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. You guys ever eat honeycomb cereal growing up? That was one of my favorites, absolutely. It's good dry, it's good with milk. Hey, speaking of milk, milk and honey, milk and honeycomb, how about that? But the words of God, obviously, are more to be desired than that, more to be desired than gold. It's sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So the sweetness of God's word, you see that. And then also in uh, Psalm, nine, uh, Psalm 119, that's the long psalm. Uh, psalm 119, verse 103, uh, we see this. Psalm 119, verse 103. Here we go. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Uh, that's just a great example of this. So we see this, uh, Psalm 19, verses 9 and 10. Psalm 119, verse 103. We also see it in the book of Proverbs as well. And we ought not to neglect reading the book of Proverbs. We can gain a lot of wisdom from this book of wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 16, we see this in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Uh, we've got another good one. Proverbs 16, 23 and 24, it says, The mind of the wise makes their speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to their lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So pleasant words are like a honeycomb. And and my dad always used to tell me, you'll get a lot farther with honey than with vinegar when you're talking to people. I think we kind of understand that, and that's kind of what this proverb is all about. And then there's another one, Proverbs 24, verses uh, 13 and 14. Uh, we see this. It says, my child, eat honey, for it is good. All right, don't have to convince me of that. My child, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. But know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, you will find a future, and your hope will not be cut off. That's Proverbs 24, verses 13 and 14. So, as sweet as honey is, understand that wisdom is like honey to your soul. And if you can find it, you're going to find a future, because your life's going to turn out well if you're sticking to divine wisdom. And then, this is really interesting, and the prophet Ezekiel, this is amazing, the book of the prophet Ezekiel, uh, we see this, where he eats a scroll He's told to eat this scroll, and this is in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And it says this, He said to me, God saying to Ezekiel, O mortal, eat what is offered to you, eat this scroll, and go, 
speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, Mortal, eat this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. So this whole idea of eating the scroll, consuming the word, consuming the word of God, and we consume the word made flesh in the Eucharist. That's incredible. The word of God, a person uh, who comes to us in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And this is what's so exciting about the Eucharistic Congress, the National Eucharistic Congress. It's going to happen next July in Indianapolis. Go to relevantradio.com slash indie. For more information on this, we are going to be there. All your show hosts are going to be there. Your favorite hosts are going to be there. We hope that you will be there too. So go to relevantradio.com slash indie, sign up for updates, and we're going to have much, much more on this uh, in the weeks and months to come leading up to this great celebration. And we want to be there for Jesus. We want to show up for Jesus. That's what Father Rocky says, and we've got to do it at the National Eucharistic Congress next July. And it's, it's a year away, but trust me, it's going to go by really, really fast. So do uh, check that out. So there's that. There's this idea of eating the scroll, and John, John the Revelator in the book of Revelation, he eats a scroll as well in his mystical vision. And it, it also reminds us of, of the manna as well. Speaking of the book of Exodus, when they're on their Israelite journey, when they're on their journey to the promised land in the wilderness, God feeds them with the manna, which again is, is kind of prefiguring the Eucharist. And, and Jesus says, I've got the true manna for you. But in Exodus 16, verse 31, it says that when the manna appeared on the ground, it was like flaky stuff. And, they, and, and manna literally means, in Hebrew, what is it? They didn't know what to make of it. it. It says it was white like coriander seed, but it tasted like honey in their mouths. And so uh, all of this is really, uh, again and again, you see this theme of honey, just as you see this theme of milk throughout uh, the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 16, 13, God feeds Israel, his bride, with the sweetest of honey. So again, this is the wisdom of God. This, this is the, the sweetness of, of his word and wisdom. And the image of honey is, is, is incredible uh, for this. And I, I think as, as, uh, as Professor Rebecca Welton says, they're good images because milk and honey, together, you can kind of, Put them together, but you can also kind of break them apart because milk is a dietary staple. Again, it's basic. Um, not everybody drinks milk, of course. Uh, Patrick Alog uh, says, I don't drink cow's milk. I drink almond milk. Okay, fine. Um, Jim, he likes fried cheese curds from Wisconsin. He'll drive to, to the next state over to get these things. So milk and milk products are, are <laughs> hey, I, I don't know how necessary fried cheese curds are to one's diet, but Sounds like they might be. I, I should probably get a hold of these as well. But, but milk is a basic staple, and that, that's kind of the basics. But honey is kind of this treat. It's, it's very sweet. It's, it's very special. It was hard to come by. It wasn't an everyday thing, but when you got it, you really appreciated it. And so for us, it's, it's a little bit like our faith because we need solid milk and, and basic milk. And, and St. Paul in the New Testament says, he kind of laments the state of some of his converts, he says, look, guys, by this point, you should be um, eating meat, but you're still sort of drinking infant's milk. You, you need the basics. You need the basics. You've got to go back to basics. It talks about this a little bit in the letter to the Hebrews as well. You've got to get, got to get the basics right, and we, we do need that. We need, we need to go back to basics. We need to have that cold glass of milk. We need to know the scriptures. We need to know the Ten Commandments. We need to know the basics of our faith. 
And one of the reasons why we have the Faith Explained program on Relevant Radio is because we need basic biblical literacy. And um, we, we need fluency. And Scott Hahn, who was on, the, on uh, Relevant Radio earlier on the Drew Mariani Show talking about the Eucharist, uh, Scott Hahn likes to say that, and one of the reasons why he founded his St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is that the laity, we need biblical literacy. It's not optional. And those who teach and those who preach and, and the bishops and, and, and teachers of the church need biblical fluency. Um, because you can't teach what you don't know. You can't give what you don't have. And so we, we need those basics for sure to survive. But we also, it's nice to have those treats that help us thrive as well. And that's, that's where the honey comes in, the wisdom of God, the word of God, specific touches of God that you need for his plan in your personal life. And we know the Ten Commandments are God's general will for all people, but the commandments, the teachings about marriage, they don't tell you much about who you should marry, right? So that's a specific thing that you need specific wisdom for, and that's the honey. And sometimes we also get the the sweetness of, of, of our experiences with God. Maybe you've had an experience of prayer with God. You get the the sweetness of, uh, of just having an encounter with God that's above and beyond the norm. And those are these touches of honey that he gives us sometimes, I think, as a, tr- as a treat to keep you going, uh, to, to make life palatable and even sweet uh, during tough times. And the more you know, the more, you, the more you're good with the milk, with the basics, the more you can take advantage of the specific sweetness of God's word. And he'll give you more. As Jesus says, hey, for those who have not, even what they think they have is going to be taken away from them. But to those who have, more will be given. So the more you seek God, you're going to find more. You're going to find more treasure. You're going to get more honey. And uh, you're ne- it's always going to draw you in. And and so I just love this image. I think it's great. Milk and honey. But what about beer? Well, we're going to talk about that after the break. 888 Kale Clark Show only on Relevant Radio. We'll be right back. And we'll raise up our glasses against evil forces and whiskey for my man, beer for my horses, whiskey for my man, beer for my horses. Beer for your horses? Is that what he said? Oh, okay, well, Toby Keith and Willie Nelson. How about that? Uh, thank you, Producer Jim, who's uh, our DJ tonight. You're listening to... Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Well, I, I did want to talk, we talked about milk and honey, you know, what it really means spiritually, as well as in, in the land of freedom. And obviously the Israelites are suffering in slavery in Egypt. They did not have that kind of stuff. But it represents abundance. It represents freedom, fertility, um, the fruitfulness, the spiritual fruitfulness that God wants for us. If you miss that, uh, check the podcast. Should be up a few minutes after the show. Also, posted a really interesting article uh, by Professor Rebecca Welton about uh, milk and honey in the Bible. You're going to want to check that out. And I did mention it's Thirsty Thursday, and I do have some memories. Um, they're kind of hazy, but uh, of of these ten cent beer nights during university times. And um, I'll tell you what: a lot of people are moving away. And producer Jim. I don't know if he's a fan of this movement or not, and I have not started it yet, but I'm thinking about it. Uh, moving to non-alcoholic brews. And there, there are a lot of reasons for this. I think we're, we're getting into a health-conscious age. Uh, I've read a lot of stuff. You probably have, too. There are a lot of podcasts out there saying that, hey, 
I know uh, clearly from a Catholic perspective, drunkenness is a sin. It's a mortal sin. We talked about that. But the Bible does talk about, you know, enjoying a drink in moderation and uh, wine being a little bit of wine being good for the soul. And as St. Paul said to Timothy, good for the stomach. Hey, it's a remedy uh, of some sort. But non-alcoholic brews have become more and more popular uh, in recent years. And they, they used to be, I've never, I've never tried one. I have to be honest with you. I've never tried one. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Maybe you have. I, do you remember Miller Sharps? That was, that was like the only one that I knew of, really. And you could get it in the grocery store. But now there are all kinds of different uh, types. And I'm going to share with you a, a really quick list of the 10 best non-alcoholic beers of 2023. And now I know I'm interested in trying some of these. And it's from liquor.com. <laughs> and I, I stumbled upon this. And what really kind of shocked me was that my, my favorite beer, in terms of regular beers, is a beer called Weinstefaner. And it comes from Bavaria, the land of Benedict XVI. Bavarian wheat beers, they're kind of my favorite. And this is the world's oldest brewery. And a lot of monks, uh, a lot of whether they be Trappist or, or otherwise, they've got all the trappings of uh, good beer making. And uh, Weinstefaner is kind of my favorite. I didn't realize this, but they make a non-alcoholic wheat beer. I, I will have to check this out. I will absolutely have to check this out. But it used to be that there really wasn't much selection. You were limited to like these non-alcoholic lagers, but now there are IPAs, India Pale Ales. There are all kinds of different choices. So I'm just going to run these down for you. And Producer Jimmy might want to take notes on this, but uh, we'll check it out. The, the best overall, apparently, according to the survey from liquor.com, is a hoppy amber called Brooklyn Special Effects. Brooklyn Special Effects from the Brooklyn Brewery. It's, it's a hoppy amber, non-alcoholic, and a Brooklyn Brewery apparently is, is a favorite, a cult favorite for many craft beer drinkers around the country. Um, and this one called Special Effects is made, the reason why they call it that is it's made using a special fermentation method which allows it to retain flavor without the alcohol. It's got a, it's a citrus-forward brew with, just a, with, with apparently just the, the right amount of bitterness from the hops. Okay, so uh, Brooklyn is in the hizzy, weighing in with this one, and uh, you can uh, grab some of these for $16 for a small case. So, All right, the best wheat beer is Weinstefaner, uh, which is not spelled with a V, but it's pronounced that way, uh, W E I H E N. S-T-E-E-P-H-A-N-E-R, Weinstefaner. Okay, so uh, they've got a, 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 an Oktoberfest-style wheat beer, and it's got non-alcoholic versions of this, and also a non-alcoholic original Hellas, whatever that is. Okay, just for the Hellas of it, I guess. But uh, the wheat beer apparently is the better of the two. Uh, it's very light, refreshing with a touch of hops. And apparently, according to the reviewers, it does give you the feeling that you are, in fact, drinking beer and not a barleyed version of White Claw, in their words. Okay, so if you like that, if you like wheat beers with a bit of a citrusy kind of taste, check it out. The best craft beer, I actually saw one of these last night. Uh, somebody had one. Uh, it's from a company called Athletic Brewing Company. So if you want to still be an athlete and have the uh, the taste of a brew, you can check out one of these athletic brewing companies, Run Wild Non-Alcoholic IPA. So if you like your IPAs, which are usually quite strong in the real world, 
uh, you can get a non-alcoholic version of this. And it's from Connecticut. And it does, uh, Athletic Brewing does one thing and one thing only. They make non-alcoholic beer with a craft brewery mentality. Uh, so according to Kevin Bradford, uh, who's a partner of uh, an organization called Harlem Hops, he says, quote, the heavy malt in this brew is awesome because it actually tastes like a West Coast American IPA, end of quote. Um, he also says it's the best non-alcoholic beer he's ever tasted. So there you go. Uh, the best German non-alcoholic beer is Klausthaler, Klausthaler, C-L-A-U-S-T, H-A-L-E-R, Klausthaler, original non-alcoholic. Uh, it got its start in the early 70s, this beer maker. Um, there's something called the German purity law with respect to beer making. you probably heard this if you're into German beers. The, and basically what it says is that only you can only use water, hops, and barley. That's it. You got to keep it basic and, and you got to be really, really good with those three ingredients. So uh, they do this. Apparently, they're really good with this original. Uh, they also have a dry hopped brew made with Cascade hops. And they have one called Santa Claus Toller, uh, which is a blend of the original and a cranberry cinnamon drink. So that might be good for the upcoming Christmas season. But we're still in the summertime, so you don't want to think about that right yet. Okay, what about lager? I've heard about this one. I've heard a lot of good things about this one. He- Heineken makes a non-alcoholic lager. It's called Heineken 0.0. And uh, it's a very popular Dutch beer, of course, Heineken. And they joined the non-alcoholic game a couple years ago with this 0.0 brew. And um, apparently the flavor, according to the reviewers, is a little bit on the thin side, but it does have that characteristic skunkiness and mouthfeel. What, what, on, what on earth is that, Producer Jim? You're more of a beer connoisseur, perhaps, than, than many of us. What is the characteristic skunkiness and mouthfeel? I've never heard this before. I'm not I'm, sure I want I'm this. Not sure. I mean, sometimes <laughs> when I drink Heineken in a bottle, it kind of has that taste. I prefer it in a can. But okay. that okay. being said, I don't like skunky beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who does? All right. So, but, but apparently, according to some blind taste tests, some people allegedly have not been able to tell the difference between regular Heineken and the Heineken 0.0 alcohol version uh, in taste tests. I don't know. You, you, your mileage may vary, but you're going to have to check it out. So the best low-calorie... Because these, these things, even though they're non-alcoholic, they do have their calories. you got to be careful. you got to count your calories. The Suntory All-Free Beer. And it's not, apparently it's not really a beer, but it's pretty close. Um, it's called All-Free. It's made by Suntory, which is a Japanese uh, company. It's been available in Japan for more than 10 years, but it's new to the American market. And it's made from two-row barley malt, aroma hops, and mineral water. We talked about mineral water earlier in the show. Uh, and it sort of results in a half-beer, half-sparkling water hybrid that might interest non-alcoholic beer drinkers. So there you go. That's that's interesting. Uh, just a couple more here. The BrewDog Hazy Beer. Um, uh, that's, that's an interesting one. And if you're looking for a hazy IPA with big, juicy, tropical fruit notes, that sounds pretty delicious. BrewDog has you covered. Uh, it's got a hazy beer that's very bold. It's very assertive. And you can... Uh, uh, we'll drink a few without worrying about it. It's It's got its start in Scotland, but now has outposts in Ohio, Berlin, and Australia. It's a pretty worldwide company now. And what about stout? Some, some of you guys like stout beers. Um, and it's it's good to eat oatmeal, and you can even have an oatmeal beer. There's apparently a Bravas Oatmeal Dark. Bravas is the name of the company. The beer is Oatmeal Dark, 
And uh, that sounds, pr- it's, it's, like, it's like the non-alcoholic beer that eats like a meal, I guess you could say. With apologies to Chunky Soup. Um, the Oatmeal Dark Stout from Bravis has rich chocolate coffee and caramel notes. It's not too sweet. And it can even stand up to food like barbecue and soft cheese. So producer Jim would love this because he loves to barbecue and he obviously drives to Wisconsin every week to get fried cheese curds. So you might want to look into the Oatmeal Dark. I don't know. But it comes from California, and uh, again, you've got these notes of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. I love that. All right. So, uh, Lagunitas IPA is apparently the best IPA, according to Liquor.com, in the non-alcoholic category. Uh, They've been brewing in California for decades. Uh, This is a new one for them. Lagunitas IPA. Notes of pine and citrus and a dose of bitterness. How about that? All right. And there's a Belgian white called Seria. Seria Grain Wave Alcohol-Free Belgian-Style White. Uh, this is from the creator of Blue Moon, a uh, Belgian wheat beer company, uh, which is actually in America. They Actually, the first, I think, the, I, I'm pretty sure the first Blue Moon was created in a, in, uh, in a baseball stadium. I think it's in was in Milwaukee, too, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, um, some of you guys can call, call in and disabuse me of that notion if I'm wrong. 888-914-9149. So at any rate, so that's the last one. Seria Grain Wave. It's got half the calories of alcoholic beer. It's made with high-quality malts, hops, and spices from the creator of Blue Moon. It's a plant-based brew made with blood orange peel and coriander. I love that. I, I love orange peel and coriander. I love coriander wheat beers. Love it. So again, according to Liquor.com, they, they ranked Brooklyn Brewery's special effects to be uh, number one. So uh, there you go. Uh, I might look into this because... I need to I need to drop some calories and um they say that you know it just ruins your sleep to 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 if you have a, a drink even a just one drink or two drinks very often it might be easier to get to sleep but you're going to have a terrible sleep um I don't know I don't know I need to I need to become a chiseled version of myself so I might look into this you might want to check that out as well Triple eight nine one four. 9149. Uh, Producer Jim is not convinced. I, I, I can't see him right now, but I'm sure he's shaking his head. I'm not going to do it. 888 is the number to call. So let's go to Mary calling from Durham, Maine. Hello, Mary. Mary, are you there? Oh, she may have uh, stepped away for a conversation. Okay, we'll get, try to get back to Mary in a minute. Let's go to Roy in Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Roy. Hello, Kel. Hey, good to have you on the program. Congratulations on your anniversary. That's why I was calling. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, well, it's been... Go ahead. I appreciate everything about Relevant Radio. I'm a Protestant in Madison, Wisconsin, but I've actually met Father Rocky, got a picture with him at the oh, studio great. in Green Bay. You're not in Green Bay, are you? No, no, I'm not. I'm actually in Toronto. Are you Canada. in the new one in Chicago? Oh, Toronto, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you for all you do because I your show always has so many interesting facts. I uh, is tending with Timry on after. I can't remember. That's my, right. Yeah. I, I she comes on next. Okay, because I love her. Well, I pray for all you guys. I mean, oh, thank like you. I say, I'm not Catholic. I'm Protestant, but my daughter became Catholic and. Our grandkids are going to go to Catholic school here in Madison. You can't send them to the public schools here, Cal. But mm. anyway, uh, yeah, thank God. We, you guys, you guys, the Catholic Church is the, if you analogize it to World War II, 
the United States was the, was the big dog of all the allies against the Nazis. To me, the Catholic Church is the big ally against the darkness in the world right now, and mm. that's why they'd like to attack. The, you guys are holding the line for all of us normal, decent, God-fearing people, so thank you. Thank you, Pharrell and Radio. Oh, th- thank you, Roy. I really appreciate this call. I appreciate your prayers, and, and I'm... This happens all the time on, on our shows. We, we always get people who, who aren't necessarily Catholic or, or maybe not even Christian, but they listen to the program and they appreciate the perspective that we bring uh, on all of our shows. And, and Roy, we can't thank you enough for, for listening and for uh, your prayers. Thank you so much. That, that's that's, a, that's a, a, an analogy that's a very powerful, and, and hopefully it's one that we can all live up to, that as we fight the battles against darkness in the culture and... Um, We've got all got to fight battles in our own lives as well, and we're here for you on Relevant Radio. Thank you so much, Roy. I appreciate your words, uh, kind words of congratulations. And uh, once again, thank all of you for listening. That's fantastic. 888-914-9149. Well, just really quickly here, uh, I wanted to make our picks, and we didn't cheat. I posted them on Twitter yesterday before the tournament started. Uh, Producer Jim kind of begged out of this, and I, I, I get it. I totally get it. Uh, but Patrick Alog, who's back today, welcome back, Patrick. Uh, he picked to win the British Open. Cam Smith, he picked him to repeat. And Patrick, can you hear me? Who was your, who was your dark horse for this one? I don't know if you can hear me where you are, but uh, uh, he, he'll, he'll let me know. Here he is. He's coming in the studio. Patrick, are you there? <laughs> okay. Patrick, who's your dark horse pick for the tournament? Hey, Kale. Welcome back. Hey. Welcome back. Yeah. Uh, can you repeat the question, please? Oh, I, I said, who's your dark horse pick for the oh. British Open? <laughs> Matthew Jordan, uh, he hit the first tee shot of the tournament, and he's actually he qualified for the Open Championship, and he's a member of Royal Liverpool. He's a member of Royal Liverpool, and, yes. and it's got such a rich history. Tiger Woods won there in 2006. It was very emotional. It was right after his dad passed away, his first major since his dad passed away. And that's the last major win for Rory McIlroy back in 2014. He's contending... I went with Scotty Scheffler, and my dark horse pick was Min Woo Lee. Will I regret this? I don't know. We'll see. But you can check Twitter. We, we, we didn't cheat. We did the, this before the tournament, but Patrick wasn't here, so I had to wait till today to announce that. Anyways, thank you for listening to The Kale Clark Show. Timory is up next. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick K. Electric, your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.